And when we talk about the need for achievement in a salesperson, Eric and Ted, we're talking about the person who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well. So the salesperson who's high in need for achievement, they just naturally want to set the bar high, if you will. They want to jump over that. Then they want to set it even higher again the next time. So they're constantly focused on producing excellence just for the sake of excellence. And it's interesting because the research shows that characteristic need for achievement, you alluded to it a moment ago, it's important not only for salespeople, but also for entrepreneurs. People have to kind of get up every morning and make it happen, and there's nobody standing over them watching. It's a 30-minute hour. Where you grow into your power. Welcome to the 30-minute hour. It's the personal development podcast for the seven-figure entrepreneur who's looking to level up and become unstoppable. I'm your host, Eric Twiggs, your procrastination prevention partner who's conducted over 28,000 coaching sessions. Also joining me, you know him as the super CEO, the business strategist extraordinaire, and all-around good guy, Ted Fells. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It is indeed a happy Monday. It's a happy Monday for a lot of reasons. But the main reason we're going to talk about as far as why it's such a happy Monday is the three personality traits of a rock star salesperson. This, this is a fascinating, this is a fascinating topic. And whether you're trying to hire the right salesperson, whether you want to see how you measure up as, as being an effective salesperson, th this is definitely one that you need to lean in on. And I don't care what you're doing. I'd be willing to bet one way or another you're selling something. You're trying to convince someone of your idea. You're trying to sell, literally sell a product. One way or another, you're selling something. There's a saying that's uh, life is a series of sales situations. So make sure you pay attention today because you're going to get some great stuff to help you to move forward. And by the way, this is not your everyday podcast. And Ted, I, I neglected to uh, warn our guest that this wasn't your everyday podcast. But, but but I have a feeling from talking to him backstage, you'll be just fine. He's going to be all right. All right. You prepped him. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, and, and so just so you know, as far as our format, you know, we Mon Mondays at 6 o'clock, we have this, this live show that we do, and it ultimately goes to the Apple Podcast and Spotify and all of those places. Uh, we also do something on uh, every Monday. It's called Thank God It's Monday. It's something that's five to ten minutes. It's your instant dose of inspiration. Uh, and, and then on a monthly basis, we do coffee and conversation where we get together with our friends from the What Now movement and we talk about an impactful and inspirational topic. Uh, so we got those different uh, options for you to listen in on and get tremendous value but today we're going to get right to the three personality traits of a rock star salesperson and i'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest of honor he is the principal with sales drive llc a firm that specializes in the selection and deployment of high performing sales people uh, he's the author of the book never hire a bad salesperson again Hmm. Now, now in its second edition, 
uh, detailing his research and practice in identifying the non-teachable personality traits common to top performers. Um, he's got a whole system he's developed. Uh, it's the drive, drive test assessment and the dr drive interview for salesperson selection. And he use, he's used this to help over 1,500 companies to hire and develop top-performing salespeople. Please join me in welcoming to the 30-minute hour, Dr. Christopher Croner. Eric and Ted, it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. Yeah, definitely uh, awesome to have you on. And I remember you and I talked a few weeks back, and we were just kind of going back and forth. So, Ted, like, I, I think that conversation we had would have been a really good episode. <laughs> like, literally, I could have just pressed record. We would have had a good episode. So I know. Let's do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. Uh, now, this is going to be some good stuff. Let, let's give people the uh, the backdrop and backstory. So I'm just curious to know, like, what was your vision for your career uh, back when you were at at uh, DePaul University as an undergraduate? Very good question. Um, you know, I think it's almost like when you ask anyone who's in sales, what got you into sales? They'll up and step back and they'll think about that a little bit and say, gosh, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really expect to get into sales. I got into it for different reasons. Um, for me, um, as an undergrad, initially, you know, my my initial focus was human services at, uh, at DePaul University. Um, I was pursuing clinical, and that's what my PhD is in clinical psychology. Um, I, so I saw myself really delivering more one-on-one -on -one services, uh, coaching, consulting with individuals one-on-one. -on -one help them deal with the challenges that face people day to day. Things like, again, depression, anxiety, things we all struggle with. Um, today, I do something slightly different in that I help leaders and sales managers deal with the, uh, the, the struggle, sometimes the depression and anxiety of hiring high-performing salespeople and, and dealing with the challenges that, that come with salespeople sometimes that don't perform to their expectations. And what do you do? How do you put a consistent process in place? So um, my, that was my initial focus was on clinical. I went to um, Southern Illinois at Carbondale for my master's and PhD. As I was doing that work, I began to re-specialize um, on the industrial organizational psychology side. I was very fortunate that I had a program director who let me take additional coursework in things like uh, consulting, providing co consultative services to business management, things of that nature. And then I really lucked out on my internship uh, before I got my PhD. I got to, you know, we, on an internship in clinical, you have different rotations, things like you might go to one clinic and provide one type of service, another type of clinic and do something different. I actually requested that I add, add an additional rotation, as they call it, in providing, again, psychological consultation to business management. And they allowed me to do that. And so that allowed me to start going to conferences and branching out a lot more. Um, and uh, that ended up being my focus. And after I got my PhD was how do I, you know, how do I take this information that we have relative to helping people develop on the, on the personal side um, in terms of strengthening them, getting them to the next level personally and taking that, that background and now applying that to the business world. And that's where I met um, Dr. Neil Whitmer at a firm called Whitmer and Associates. And his practice was focused on, you may see sometimes companies when they're hiring, say a new VP or a new president, they'll bring in a psychologist to sit down with that person sometimes for two hours or more to do an evaluation to determine whether the person is going to be a good fit for that type of a role. 
And it's a very rigorous process. It involves, again, a two-hour interview, sometimes what's called an in-basket exercise, which is a job simulation. Sometimes there's a little bit of cognitive testing, so very, very intensive process. They wanted to design something as intensive as that for salespeople because, of course, sales is the lifeblood of any company. So they brought me on board to focus on that. And that's when I began to do that work, October of 2002. And all I have eat, breathed, and slept since that time was what is it that makes a high-performing salesperson and what consistent steps can a company take to find those individuals and bring them on board? Hmm, interesting. So, I mean, was there anything from just your personal experience that gravitated you towards wanting to help people? Like you said, you started with you know, focusing on depression and those types mm -hmm. of issues. Yeah, of course. Um, my um, my interest was really helping people to deal with issues that come come around from assertiveness. Uh, assertiveness is one of the challenges a lot of people face, being effectively assertive in the world. And that was my um, dissertation, was looking at assertiveness and how do people at different levels of assertiveness deal with challenges that are thrown at them. Um, I used a technique called a mood induction. I wanted to determine if we have people high and low in assertiveness, do they respond differently to a mood induction? A mood induction is where you have people, uh, you, you put them basically into a negative mood and you want to see who responds more so to that negative mood or who's more affected by it, if you will. And then you want to see if there's anything about an assertive person that helps them maybe to be a little bit more resilient. And we found that uh, there was an association between assertiveness, but also social support. And it looked like in terms of the results of that analysis, we found that people who were higher in assertiveness tend to be the types of individuals that when they deal with challenges day to day, they go out and they get that social support that they need, of course. Mm -hmm. And that helps them to retain that resiliency uh, to deal with those challenges that, that are thrown at them. And that was an extension of research that I actually began as an undergrad at, at DePaul, looking at mood inductions and what sort of person is more or less susceptible to that because we all have difficult days we all have challenges that are thrown at us and i think one of the biggest differences in life is the individuals who are able to take those challenges that are thrown at them and deal with them and handle them again and again and again in very many ways that's like a, an effective salesperson when you think about it, as we mentioned um before our before the show we had that conversation about who's going to be an effective hunter salesperson you know the person who's going to be able to go out whether it's in person over the phone knock on a door and here's the crucial part sometimes they get that door slammed in their face then they have to knock on the next door with that much more certainty and passion and conviction and psychologically, who is that person? I think that was what was interesting to me on the clinical side was who tends to have what we call hardiness, you know, who tends to be able to bounce back most effectively. And so that translated very nicely into starting, you know, focused on, on salespeople. It's a nice practical application for that, that type of a, a focus. And then, okay, what is it that makes someone successful as a salesperson? That's when I kind of started from scratch and started doing that research. What, what's teachable and what's not teachable and how, how, do, how do the non-teachable pieces come together? How does that all work in a person? psychologically, how is that person built? So that's that's how I got my, my start. I wanted to focus on what leads someone to be resilient and hardy. How can I help people to build that? And then getting out of school, everybody has to find, well, what am I going to do uh, with, the, with this degree? In my case, it was a PhD. I was the first person uh, in my family to to go all the way through co college, uh, undergrad, uh, and then my master's and PhD thereafter. Um, so I just kind of went straight went straight through the PhD. And I, I didn't know, you know, I when I was an undergrad, I didn't know what it was even going to take. Uh, to become a psychologist. I remember one of my intro to psychology courses, I raised my hand at one point and I said, so, so wait a minute. So it's, it's four years here. And after four years, am I a psychologist? Is, is that how this is going to work? And no, um, my intro to psychology professor explained what graduate school is. And that sounded quite daunting because uh, that was another four years plus a year of internship. And I remember I went back to my dorm room at the time and I, I sat down and I thought about it. I had my intro to psychology book sitting there on my lap. 
Um, and I just sat and I thought about it, thought about it, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make, I'm going to make this happen. And I just figured, I had to figure it all out step by step by step. I didn't have necessarily anybody to turn to, to say, okay, you know, what steps do I need to go through? I just have to, you know, make my own path, if you will. And that's how I went about it. So I guess I needed resiliency on my side that attracted me to want to help others build that when they needed to. And then moving into the world of sales, helping companies find individuals that have some of that type of a characteristic. Okay. Awesome. So, so uh, Dr. Christopher, help me out here, right? You know, there's this movement and train of thought of all oh, talent is overrated. Oh no, it's not about talent. It's, uh, but but I, I see just in the and people I deal with that I do think there is an it factor in in just about anything. When you're talking about sales, you're talking about leadership. I do think there are certain things that the person needs to just bring to the table that you just can't teach the person to have. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Sure. So. In terms of, say, a salesperson and the way the salesperson comes across, if, if you if you ask anybody what leads somebody, as we talked about before, what leads somebody to be successful in sales, they'll often say things like, oh, the person needs the gift of gab, or they need to be able to help to like people, to connect with people. Well, it's important to keep in mind those characteristics that are teachable and those that are not teachable. So on the teachable side, of course, we find that we can build things like persuasiveness. We, you know, we can teach someone persuasive techniques. That's something we can learn. We can teach someone relationship skills, for example. That's something else that we can learn. But underneath that, when someone is successful in sales, um, as I've mentioned, they often tend time. They oftentimes are the sort of individuals they'll just go out and they'll day after day after day they're able to um, put in all that extra work that they need to meet those people whom they need to meet to to climb the mountain, if you will, to be successful in sales. And that's where I got started was figuring out, okay, how how can we determine what that is, what that it factor is that you mentioned. And that's when I got started looking at number one on the research side, everything that had been published on that topic academically over the last, what, 85, almost 90 years now in terms of what is it that makes a successful salesperson, as well as my own work. I mentioned starting at that firm, Whitmer and Associates, doing interviews with sales candidates, behavioral interviews for a couple hours, and then circling back with their managers after that to find out who really does become successful. And again, when we looked at all of that data, we found that again, many of the characteristics that most people would classically expect to be important were, again, important. The teachable things, persuasiveness, relationship skills, et cetera. But above and beyond any of those by far were these three non-teachable characteristics that continue to stand out and differentiate the highest performers. So again, happy to share those with you today, but it tends to be, again, those non-teachable pieces that sort of the foundation of the house, if, if you will. And then on top of that, you have the things that you can teach, things like persuasiveness, relationship skills, Etc. So there's some there's some things that, that we can teach in terms of developing the person, but then underneath the surface, past the age of about 21, 22, there are other things that tend to be relatively solidified to the point that you can you can um, teach someone to be per- persuasive. You can you can give them a motivational speech, and in some cases, you can have someone improve a little bit. But then oftentimes they'll go back to their mean level of performance, their average level of performance, because there's some of these uh, non-teachable pieces that. They might, they may not necessarily have, and other other people do have them, if you will. So happy to discuss those with you today, too. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've seen just in my work that you know sometimes a, a certain business will just be struggling, mm-hmm. struggling with the sales, right? Just struggling, struggling, struggling. Then all of a sudden we'll just bring this person in and just, you know, yep. and and it, we didn't, you know, we didn't take years and years to train them. We didn't. They just kind of come in, bringing certain things to the table. Yep. And that's why I, I just think if you if you're looking to hire the right tip, please chime in. I'm sure you've seen this as well. 
you know, you, I've had one person, they're making, they have all these reasons why they can't sell, the customers don't have the money, and oh gosh, yeah, it's a bad economy. And then somebody else comes in, and maybe they're not a, uh, an industry veteran. They come in, and they're just, you know, making it happen. And I think it goes back to what you're saying, Dr. Christopher. Yep, yep. And again, it's it's not unusual that you have somebody who can be a diamond in the rough in some cases. So that yep. can certainly happen. We see that we see that very often on our side as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting to, to be talking about this, and it is one of those things. I think some people just have it, right? Like they they probably like been selling like all their life. They probably sold to their parents. They probably could get their parents <laughs> to do just anything. They could get their friends to do just about anything, right? And you know, they have those capabilities to, uh, you know, to to get people to you know to convince them to you know kind of want to follow them. You know, and I think that definitely ties also into very strong leadership capabilities, right? Because, you know, leadership can get people to to get people to follow, right? Like sometimes it, there were some, you can remember some people when you were a kid, you'd be like, why were you guys doing that? Well, because well, Tony was doing it. So we just right. followed him because, you know, if Tony jumped off, you know, a cliff, would you do it too? They don't want to say it, but they probably would because Tony's very convincing. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's why it's critical that we consider what we're going to talk about here today. So, so, so let's get to it. You know, people are on the edge of their seats now. So let, let's let's start to share this. What what are those three traits of a rock star salesperson? Of course. So, in terms of the three characteristics, we find uh, the first is what we call the need for achievement. And when we talk about the need for achievement in a salesperson, Eric and Ted, we're talking about the person who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well. So the salesperson who's high in need for achievement, they just naturally want to set the bar high, if you will. They want to jump over that. Then they want to set it even higher again the next time. So they're constantly focused on producing excellence just for the sake of excellence. And it's interesting because the research shows that characteristic need for achievement, you alluded to it a moment ago, it's important not only for salespeople, but also for entrepreneurs. People have to kind of get up every morning and make it happen, and there's nobody standing over them watching. So as you can imagine, in some cases right now, as companies are having to hire a bit more remotely, we're finding that that characteristic just continues to become more and more important. So that's the first piece, need for achievement. Sort of like the kid in school who who just has to get an A. It's that mentality, if you will. The second piece is competitiveness. And the competitive salesperson we find really wants to do two things. Number one, they want to be the best on their team. They're always comparing their performance to their peers because they just need to know how they stack up, if you will, relative to the group. But number two, they want to win that prospect or that client over to their point of view. Because to them, uh, psychologically, that sale is kind of like a contest of wills. And then the third piece is optimism. And that's the salesperson's sense of certainty that they will succeed, as well as their resilience to remain persistent when they face the inevitable rejection that a salesperson just has to deal with. So we find it's those three characteristics all together, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism that psychologically create sort of the perfect storm, if you will. And collectively, we refer to those three characteristics as drive. The challenge, of course, being that past the age of about 21, 22, there's not much we can really do, as I mentioned, to change the person's overall level of drive. It's kind of either it's there or it's not. And the challenge many companies face is 
you know, in terms of the interview process, we find that drive is the easiest characteristic, frankly, for a candidate to fake in the interview and the most hmm. difficult characteristic to accurately rate. So again, that's what companies often struggle with and that's what we help them to do, to identify how do you find a candidate that has Latrice? Interesting. So the need for achievement, competitive, competitiveness and optimism. Now, is there one that you feel is more critical than the other three? Is there a hierarchy or are they all weighted? How does this work? Good question. Yes, we'll often get that question. Do you weight the three elements of drive differently? And yes, we do. Uh, in terms of our assessment as well, our online assessment, we have the heaviest weight on need for achievement. Right? And although all three characteristics are important, need for achievement is the most important. The second heaviest weight is on competitiveness. And the third heaviest weight is on optimism. That's because occasionally you may see a salesperson, for example, that may not have as strong optimism. In some cases, you may have an individual, uh, for example, that doesn't even enjoy doing an activity like cold calling. Their need for achievement and competitiveness are just so strong, they'll just push themselves whatever to do whatever it is they need to do to be successful. So in some cases, we allow them to kind of make up for that uh, in terms of the assessment score. So that's that's the way that we have the hierarchy in terms of the uh, the assessment. And we encourage companies to use that a bit too in the interview process when they're asking questions about those three characteristics. So, so what does somebody do? Let's say they've got someone on the team now and they go through your assessment and they score, they score low in need for achievement. Let's say, what, what steps should that supervisor take with this person? Good question. You know, we'll often get the question, should, should we, you know, administer the assessment to uh, our current sales team and make some decisions based upon scores in the assessment. And we always recommend against that. We recommend that if their company is sort of on the cusp in terms of how to deal with any given individual, the best way, of course, is to use their performance and make that decision. And then at that point, decide, okay, you know, the people that we've decided we want to, we definitely want to keep, we definitely want to grow. How can we help them just do that? And that's where we recommend using the assessment in that regard. How can we help, help people take their performance to the next level when it comes to some of the teachable characteristics that we assess? So if you give the assessment to a current person and they're scoring low in need for achievement, chances are if that's, you know, if someone's low in need for achievement, there's not much we can really do to change that. We can't increase their need for achievement. However, we can certainly help them in other ways. For example, the person's in a position where they're being required to hunt. You know, psychologically, so the person who's going to be able to go out and get the door slammed in their face, knock on that next door enthusiastically again and again, day in and day out, that's a very unique person. So sometimes finding a role that's most appropriate for an individual, given their unique makeup, is most important. So if you have an individual that's lower in need for achievement, maybe perhaps they have strong relationship skills or maybe they have strong organizational skills. And you move that person into a role that's more, say, more of a customer service role or a classic farmer role, if you will. Uh, in that case, the person might absolutely thrive because now they're in a situation where it's a better match with their natural tendencies. So once you have decided, OK, here are the groups, that, here's the individual, the groups of people, the group of people that we're going to definitely keep and develop. What can we do now to recognize where their natural tendencies are and how can we put them in roles where they are most likely to thrive? So it's not that if someone's low in need for achievement, they uh, they they're never going to succeed in any type of a sales role, but sometimes it's just finding the right type of role for that person. So sometimes moving them into a role that perhaps is a little bit more customer service oriented, or maybe a role where they're more of a wing person, if you will, for the classic high drive individual. Sometimes that can work out too when you do have the opportunity to team people up. So just finding where people's natural strengths are and then putting them, putting them in a position that maximizes their opportunity to capitalize on their own tendencies. Yeah, so it's interesting. I've seen organizations that they may have someone that does follow-up calls with customers, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to get them to come back in. And we would see that the conversion rate wasn't really that high. 
and, and we and we just started to realize that the person didn't really have the personality to do that. They didn't. Maybe it was optimism. They didn't just really. And we would move. We would take them, stop them from doing that, and get somebody who was more bubbly and perky. And all of a sudden, the conversions go up. Yep. Exactly. So sometimes again, finding the person that is a natural fit for that role again can 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 really really be ideal. That that way again, you're putting everybody in the as they they say in in, in so many terms that you know the, the the right seat on the bus, if you will, for each person. Yeah. Now, now have you ever run into scenarios where? Maybe somebody scored low in one or two of these, and they were still getting, you know, better than expected results. They they were hitting the ah. hitting the numbers, and in terms of a candidate, I don't think you know we've administered over a hundred thousand assessments. I don't think we've ever seen a candidate score say a one or a two on drive, and then go on thereafter to really knock the cover off the ball as a hunter. However, it's not unusual that, as you can imagine, you may give a test to your existing sales team. And you may have an individual that is one of the top performers on the team who scores lower than you might expect when it comes to something like, say, drive. And the most common reason we will see for that is, again, you may have an individual, as you can imagine, who has built up a great book of business over the years uh, that they're focused a little bit more now on, say, shepherding. So relative to the group, they're doing great, but they may not have, for example, the same degree of intensity you would want to see in a brand new recruit with a blank contact list, if you will. So sometimes you can see that phenomenon occur, or there could be situations where the brand is doing some of the selling and that person is perhaps a little bit more of a closer, or they may have linked up with more aggressive door opener. So um, occasionally when you look at an, an existing team, you may see one or two top performers who score lower than you expect when it comes to the overall drive score, but that typically tends to be the reason for it. A person who has built up a book of business over time that again, they're focused more now on shepherding. Um, they may not, again, as I mentioned, have that same degree of intensity you want to see in someone who's coming in brand new to that role, if you will. So it's interesting. So if you're not using a tool like this, right, and somebody, you know, on paper they look good, but they they were shepherding the whole time. Let's say they go to Ted's company where they need to be hunting, <laughs> and they're really not a hunter. So I think, yeah, this really speaks to the value of having this type of tool to really see who you're who you're really dealing with. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's one of the challenges companies will run into is, you know, they have an individual and on any given team, on any given team, you're going to have the person who happens to be the top performer for that team. Yeah, that's natural. It happens in sports. It happens in, in anything. OK, great. But again, with with the drive test, with our assessment, we're comparing candidates to, of course, the universe, if you will, of the highest performing salespeople and really selecting the, the ones that are uh, that have, that have the highest potential, if you will, in terms of that, that overall drive score. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you're the co-author of this book, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again. So kind of talk specifically about how this book helps people to accomplish that as far as getting away from hiring the, the wrong salesperson. Of course. Um, it starts out really de detailing the research that we talked about briefly, you know, talking about the three elements of drive and then gets into, OK, here's a step by step process you can use on the hiring side, talking a little bit about testing, but then also um, more intensely about the interview process. How do you interview candidates effectively? How do you find somebody that has those non-teachable pieces? And as I mentioned um, before the show, we were talking about the challenges companies have when they're interviewing. Many, many times sales managers aren't taught how to interview somebody effectively. They don't necessarily know, or, or in some cases, you don't necessarily know what you're looking for. Some people say, well, I want somebody who is motivated by money or somebody who has the gift of gab. And those things are nice, but that's not, that's not really what's, what's most important. It's, it's those underlying characteristics. And we talk about in the book is specifically what you can do in the interview process. So specifically starting out with structure. How do you structure the interview effectively? We recommend starting out 
have me your questions, for example, all written out. And we give we provide an interview guide on a download page associated. You know, when you get the book, you get all this additional material. We, oh, oh, interview guide you can print out and make sure that you're ready for the interview one on one. You have all your questions written out and you're ready to go. And then you keep in mind, of course, during the interview that the best predictor of future behavior is previous behavior. So, of course, there's always a tendency sometimes when a company will first come to us to say, OK, uh, when we sit down with a candidate, we ask the candidate, what would you do if this happened? What would you do if that happened? What would you do if a prospect said this? What would you do if the prospect said that? Give us a sales presentation. Well, again, the candidate's putting their best foot forward. They want to look good in the interview. Okay, they, they, they want to present themselves well. That's to be expected. That's very understandable. But the key question is not do they know the right things to do, but will they actually do them? And that's the point of the behavioral interview is getting specific things the person has done in the past consistently so that we can predict how the person's going to perform for us going forward. So, for example, as we talk about in the book, we recommend starting out that interview, whether it's your phone screen or the one on one interview, you know, sitting down with the person, reviewing their resume with them. And for each position they've held, ask the candidate to answer three questions. Number one, give me the basic job description. What did you do in that role? Number two, if you were on a sales team, where did you rank on the team? Of course, the competitive person will know exactly where they ranked. And number three, what got you to move on to the next position? Uh. And of course, I'm sure when you've, you guys have asked candidates that over the years, what got you to move on to the next position? You've heard that people have. Uh, sometimes when they answer that, you know, what you might consider to be guarded answers, things like, oh, what got me to move on? There were some disagreements with my supervisor. There were some differences of opinion concerning my salary, you know, things like that. I find when you start getting those guarded answers, one of the most powerful techniques you can use is what we call the magic wand question. Okay, if we had a magic wand and we could change three things about that job, so you'd have never wanted to leave, what would those three things be? And of course, that's when you start to get a kernel of the truth. Well, let's say my assistant wouldn't have quit, I would have gotten paid more, I wouldn't have yelled at the sales VP to give you something you can start to dig in on. And at that point, the key is to see whether or not you can find other instances of that behavior occurring in the past as well. Because the more consistently we see a behavior occurring in the past, the more reliably we can predict it will emerge for us as well. And then, of course, at that point, getting into the specific characteristics, you know, we talk about the three non-teachable elements of drive, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism. But then, of course, with our assessment and in the interview process, we recommend we also look at the other more teachable characteristics, things like confidence. Does a person have thick skin? Can they handle rejection? Persuasion. Does the person enjoy selling and negotiating? Will they move that sale from the first call to the second call to the close? relationship skills. Is this person comfortable reaching out to other people socially? And then organization. Is this the sort of person who enjoys uh, dotting their I's and crossing their T's, those teachable characteristics? And then, of course, um, identifying for yourself as a company whether you need any of the specialized skills that we talk about in the book. For example, in some cases, someone is selling more of a solution, more complex solution, in which case they need problem-solving skills, sometimes analytical ability, sometimes conceptual skill. And we give you questions you can use to go after those types of characteristics as well. So by using those questions, by having those questions ready at the beginning of the process, before the candidate ever sits down with you, now you're much more prepared to get the information you need in the interview to help you more reliably predict whether this person is going to perform well for you in that role. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So, so Ted, I mean, you, you're interviewing people all the time for your company. How does this methodology compare to what you do? You know, you know, getting just good salespeople is just it's just tough. It's tough because, you know, it's 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 personality. You know, hunger. I mean, you know, some of that stuff you're just not going to see in the first meeting, right? They can sound a certain way. You'll you'll know it in a you'll know it in a, I guess like, you know a couple of weeks. You'll kind of see how they go about what they do and 
you know, but it's, it's tough. I don't, you know, I, I've gone through various salespeople for over 20, 20 years. And, you know, some of the successes I've had recently are, are, are going with, you know, just people, just, you know, just not a lot of experience, but, you know, being trainable, you know, having, you know, you know, you know, something you can just light that fire and kind of show them. And a lot of times, some of the salespeople that have been doing it for some time, they're kind of set on how they do it. You know, they had some success in it back in 1975. Uh, doctor, you know, they, they closed that deal in 75. It was game changing. And they've been riding on that. For, and, they, and they've been riding on that for 10, 10 jobs. And you'd be like, man, when's the last time you closed? Well, back in 75. <laughs> I closed the biggest deal for the, you know, the textile company I was working with. And yeah, it was the biggest deal ever. They had my picture up on the wall and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. But what about now? Yep. <laughs> what about the past 20 years? So, so Dr. Christopher, I'm curious, like one of the things I see and working with people, some of the common, one of the biggest interview mistakes people make is they talk too much during the interview instead of letting <laughs> the candidate. Because like, if you just let the candidate talk, they'll tell you who they really are. Yeah, you, yeah. If you just sit back and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, the reason I left it was a, uh, you know, it was, it was a difference of opinion." You just say, "Oh really? Tell me about that." Right. Hmm. Yeah. Before you know it, they they'll just tell you everything. Is that something you see? In your work, very very true. Um, giving giving the candidate enough time to reveal themselves can be very very helpful in the interview process. We typically actually recommend um, a, a tight structure in terms of asking the candidate the right series of questions, step by step by step. Because one of the challenges companies face on the other side is sometimes they'll bring the candidate in, and the candidate has a pretty a pretty well prepared presentation for the company. You know, they they know what they want to say in the interview, and sometimes they'll have their their canned speech, if you will. So giving them the opportunity to warm up a little bit, maybe for five minutes, and then getting into the questions, making sure you ask them the right questions, giving them the chance to answer those, and then make sure you're probing into those effectively using some of the techniques that we give you in the book. That's really the what we find is the most effective way, way to go. The ideal case is just what you describe someone, a situation where you can give the person a bit of a minimum, if you will, um, a bit of a prompt, and they give you the information you need, and then you can take that down and move on to the next question. That's ideal, but sometimes candidates, will start going in a different direction and they'll start they'll start trying to filibuster you because they know they have a certain amount of time on the, on the clock to interview with you. And so they figure if they try to filibuster you for an, enough time, they'll get out of there and be like, well, pass that one and you know move on to the next, next interview. So we always, always uh, counsel our clients to make sure that they're asking enough questions that they can get a good rating on each of those characteristics so that they're certain. Now, when you think about you know giving them enough time to, again, reveal themselves a little bit more, uh, that can often be down to activities like, for example, take, taking the person to dinner, taking them to lunch, kind of bonding and connecting with them. Because at the end of the day, the person's performance is really down to, we find all of the elements of what we might think of as uh, kind of the ecosystem of sales, if you will. So personality is important, but also fit with the company culture, fit with the management style, fit with the compensation plans, like an athlete. All those things come together at the end of the day to ultimately determine how successful the person will be. In this case, what we're talking about with our assessment and interview process, we're looking at raw athletic ability. How fast can they run? 
how high can they jump? When you sit down with the individual one-on-one, again, maybe in more of an informal setting, that's when you can learn a little bit more about them and let them kind of go a little bit more freeform, if you will. Find out about the person's match with the company culture and find out, you know, does this person at least have a background to be successful? Are they being truthful, if you will? And you're exactly right. Sometimes the people with less background who have that hunger, that need for achievement, that's why we weight that need for achievement so heavily. Again, it's like the kid in school who has to get an A. In many cases, you're better off if you have the opportunity to train and develop people. You're better off finding the person who's high drive, low experience than the person who's low drive, high experience, who knows the right things to do. But underneath the surface is kind of that question of can sell versus will sell. We're looking most intensely at will they sell? Hey, will they sell for sure? So, so in your book, you talk, I wanted to go through this again. I want to make sure I got it. So you, sure. you talked about kind of three areas you're looking at during these interviews you mm-hmm. said one of them was why they leave the last job one of them is where did they rank and there was a third one sure so in terms of the, the person's position again the first thing i asked them is quite just a, a very, very very basic way tell me about that job itself give me the basic description what did you do day to day yep mm-hmm. all right good and then at that Fantastic. point where you rank on the team and then what got you to move on to that next position good all right. Well, I hope someone was really listening and taking notes with that, because I, I think if you follow that model, I mean, you'll find that you're making better hires, not just for salespeople, but for anybody in general um, that you're looking for for the team. Uh, so I, I know you're on these types of podcasts all the time. You get asked all kinds of questions. Uh, what's one question that you never get asked, but you wish uh, people would actually ask you? So much so. I wish people would ask more about what do you do to onboard a high drive person? You know, people hear about the drive model and they hear about the assessment that we have and they want, okay, we want to implement an assessment. We want to implement uh, this interview process. We want to bring a high drive person on board. And oftentimes uh, they can get a little bit stuck on that idea without taking it to the next level. And the next level, of course, is how do you onboard somebody effectively? How do you connect someone with your company effectively? Who's who's that high drive person? The temptation is always, I think in many cases, okay, we'll find somebody who's high drive and we'll throw them to the wolves. They'll know what to do. They'll know what to do because they're high and drive. Check the box. You've hired your high drive person. There you go. Right. But that's not it. They need, when they bring the person on board, they need to onboard them effectively. And that's what we talk about in the book, an effective process for doing that. The most, one of the most important aspects of which we call the mission meeting. You know, there's that critical first week or two when the person's on board and that aspect of what we call the mission meeting, where you're sitting down one-on-one in the person. And we give uh, the readers of our book a worksheet to, to go through, to identify, you know, the, the steps of the mission meeting for you and how to conduct that effectively. But it's all about finding out, not only sharing with that new sales hire, what's important for your, your goals, what your goals are for that person and the company's goals, but finding out what that person's personal goals are as well, really understanding what do they want to do and then connecting those two, marrying those two, showing them how how the work that you're going to be doing together will help them to accomplish their hopes and dreams. When you take the time to really build that, to get that out of the person, uh, that is one of the, the biggest differences that makes the difference because you've got the individual who's high in need for achievement. That's the person who wants an A. Show them how to get an A. Show them how, how you're going to help them achieve their greatest goals. And one, once you bond with them in that way, connect with them in the way, use the steps of that meeting that we talk about in the book, uh, that's, a, that's a game changer. You know, finding the high drive person, onboarding them in that way, get them charged up and ready to go, and then making sure that you emphasize and, and really live out that you're always there for them. You're always there to support them. You're always there 
uh, and anytime they would need anything, generally when you get the high drive person, they're, they're not, they'll need you for a little bit of support here and there. Uh, but just so that they know that you're not, they're not being thrown to the, to the, the wolves, that you didn't go through this rigorous process of an online assessment where you were asking these challenging questions then bringing them into the interview and asking the behavioral interview questions that we talked about. That's, that's not for nothing. There's a, that's a, there's a very specific reason we put them through that challenging process is that we could bring somebody on board who has those qualifications and then we could give them the support that they need and deserve. That's what I wish people would ask a little bit more. How do I bring somebody on board uh, effectively? And it's all about, again, the first two weeks, particularly having that effective mission meeting with that person. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes some of these personality types, the, the the high need for achievement, the high optimism, high competitiveness, if you aren't, you know, kind of letting them know where they stand and giving them a certain level of structure, they, they, they may think you have a problem with them. Yep. Or think they're not performing to your satisfaction and like, you know what, maybe I need to find something else. Yep. And it goes back to that question, too. What about money? Should a salesperson just be motivated by money? And we get that question quite a bit. And it's interesting because we get uh, companies who will come to struggling to hire salespeople and they find this challenge of getting salespeople who get up to a certain level of production and then they, let, they level off and they can't figure out why. We call that in the book, the flatliner salesperson. You know, they can't figure out why this happens. And so we'll ask them, well, what do you look for in a candidate? And they'll say, well, we want somebody who's motivated by money or someone who has external pressures like um, a mortgage, a couple of car payments, kids in school, external things that are motivating them because that surely will lead somebody to be successful. All you're doing is putting them under the gun in that case, of course. Uh, and again, that's the challenge they have, and then they can't figure out why they get up to a level of production and then they level off. Well, again, when you have somebody who's motivated by money, chances are they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out how they achieve the lifestyle that they were going after. They're going to figure out how to relieve those pressures that run them. And now they know what they need to quote unquote phone in quarter after quarter to maintain. Whereas the person motivated by need for achievement, for example, will continue to excel. They'll continue to produce. Money's still important to them, to be sure, but they look at money the same way that, say, a great athlete looks at points on the scoreboard. It's how they show how well they've done rather than their goal in and of itself, if that makes sense. So you find the person, you use an online assessment, and then use the interview process to find the person who's high in need for achievement, and that money piece will solve itself when you sit down with the person and show them how you're going to help them meet their own personal goals. It's interesting. It's almost like that, that professional athlete. Right. That there's some professional athletes that once they get the big contract, it's almost like their their hunger isn't the same. They, they're mm -hmm. just some of their mail in. But then there's some people there. you Michael Jordan, LeBron James. They have all their they have all the money that they can have, but they're still just as hungry. So I, I would imagine that's that's where that need for achievement would come in. The last dance on uh, Netflix. Perfect example. Yeah. You see Michael Jordan practicing every morning before anybody else. That's that need for achievement. You know, it, it, it's related to another question we often get. You know, we want athletes. We want somebody that's another shorthand. Sometimes companies we use. We want somebody who has a great athletic background. Well, okay, because they're looking for somebody who's competitive. That's understandable. Uh, but you want to determine when you're looking for somebody who has the athletic background, what really led to their success as an athlete? Was it always their own effort? Or was it really the fact that the coach was calling them up every morning and getting them out on the field? Ideally, you want to look for the person that was out there themselves. As we talked about, like with Michael Jordan, half an hour, an hour beforehand. Sometimes you can be better off uh, hiring the person that just worked really hard to put themselves through school. And it has more yeah. of what we call that quiet drive, if you will, that need for achievement, if you will. That's what we recommend looking for. So it's about seeing those, those easy, those, those easy um, heur heuristics, if you will, that people sometimes use uh, to, to find people who are high in, in, in motivation, as they, they might say. But, in, but instead, instead of using those, using something a bit more specific, specifically going after need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism, 
using an online assessment than using the interview process. Awesome. All right. So we're coming down to the final segment. It's called Write This Down. And this is where we each go around and give at least one idea from today's episode that the people need to write down so they can level up. And so, Dr. Christopher, you're the guest of honor. We'll start with you. What's something that the people need to write down from this episode? I'd say the most important thing is be prepared. You know, be prepared uh, to hire that person effectively. Be prepared with a step-by-step process, as we talk about in the book. Don't wing it. I think if there's one thing I would ask your audience to re- remember, it's that when you combine a well-constructed assessment on the online with a well-constructed behavioral interview using the questions that we talk about to today, that combination makes it absolutely certain that you will consistently bring on board high-performance sales athletes. So the one idea I'd ask them to write down is to combine both of those things. All right. Fantastic. Write that down. All right. Great stuff, Ted. You know, it's tough. It's tough. It's good that, you know, that there's books out here on this that can help people out. Because, again, sometimes you just think that you you got that person. You know, you just feel it in your gut that that individual can be a high performance sales person for you. But I think, uh, you know, and you know, one thing for me, oftentimes, uh, you know, if I look at a resume and it's a salesperson and that person has skipped around a lot of different companies, that's usually concerning for me because it's like, I mean, if you were really getting it done in a company, they probably wouldn't let you go that many times, right? You know? If you're a salesperson and that's the, you know, the the heart of the company and you've been around this many companies and, and everyone was willing to let their heart go, that may not be the, you know, the, the person, uh, the person for you. And they'll, and they'll always have a reason why. And, 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 I, and, that, and I'll tell you, that's when they do their best selling. To, to get that job, <laughs> that job with you, like they're they're so you know persuasive and everything. They use all the tools that they have, you know. But the thing is, is are they going to use that to to help you drum up some business? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, not so much. So yeah, that that resume, sales, yeah, it's a, you know, you. You probably want to have them kind of walk you walk you through that a bit and not just uh you know just take uh the first thing they tell you about that is the reason why you know they've jumped around so much in the sales industry awesome yeah you really have to to, to dig in and see what and that's that's where that question of, of why did you leave is good because you start to see start to see patterns you know if every stop you know i me and the, the boss and i did, didn't agree it just wasn't a good fit right you know, all, <laughs> all, 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 all 30 of these jobs like none, <laughs> like none of them like you didn't like any of them <laughs> yeah 10 jobs in three years and none of them were a good fit okay none of them were a good fit we got you no, that's good. That's good. So, so my my piece of this segment has to do with just you know, hiring for attitude and personality. You know, and and everybody gets so stuck in trying to find the longtime industry veteran 
Um, I just remember years ago, uh, there was this uh, automotive shop. This was years ago. This was, there was this automotive shop owner who, like, he he would staff. He was staffing his sales counter with people. Like, he he'd meet somebody at Red Lobster. That was one of his salespeople. Uh, the other person was like a bartender. Yeah. The other person was this yep. uh, person who sold him cigarettes. <laughs> it was like it was yep. never somebody that was. And at the time, everybody was looking at him like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> You know, why aren't you getting people that know know something about cars? But but he had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. And and these people came in and they would sell because Mm -hmm. it was all about attitude and personality. And I'm sure if we were to test them in these need for achievement, competitive, they would probably score high in all three of these categories. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because sometimes, sometimes getting an industry veteran is a disadvantage Mm -hmm. because they they have all the reasons why something's not going to work and why the customer is not going to buy and why your approach is wrong. Or why what they did back in 1975 <laughs> is a better way to go. Yeah. yeah. So I think that should be a key thing is to really look at, look at the attitude and personality. And, and I do think it's helpful to use these assessments because whether it's yours, Dr. Christopher, which I think everybody should be using yours or the other ones, I've, I've just found them to be very accurate. It tends to play out over time. Mm-hmm. When it says that they're going to do something, they show up on the job and you see that they actually perform in that way. Yep. So, all right. Yeah, this, this has just been a, a fantastic episode. So, Dr. Christopher, how, what's the best way people can connect with you to get your book um, and get more information from you? Of course, people can go to our website, uh, salesdrive.info. If, you're, if any of the audience members are sales managers, you can click a link there to get a complimentary assessment. We always recommend giving that to either a current salesperson or a candidate. And you can, again, request a complimentary assessment. There's a big red button on that link, and we're happy to be of service to you in any way that we can. All right. Fantastic. All right. And don't forget to share the show. Share the show. Share the show. Right. Don't, don't keep this episode a secret with Dr. Christopher Croner, who gave us uh, the treat the three traits of a rock star salesperson. Uh, you can hire that right person and take your organization to the next level. Uh, and again, don't forget that you can listen to this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of those other podcasting platforms. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. So that's our time for this week on a 30 minute hour podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 30 Minute Hour Podcast. We need your help to grow the show. One of the best ways that you can help us is by leaving both a rating and a review. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any of those other podcasting platforms and leave us a rating and a review. We've got a bonus that we're running for this month, a special bonus, that if you take a screenshot of that rating and review and you email it to E-R-I-C at E-R-I-C-M-P-W-I-G-G-S dot com, you get entered into a special drawing where you can win a free copy of my book, The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination. And then lastly, don't forget to share the show. That's right, share the show. 
Share this show with someone in your network who you know will benefit from the message. Again, I thank you for listening. And remember, don't allow perfect to become the enemy of progress. So keep growing, keep growing, keep growing.